I'm Chaplain Jacob Scott of the Oregon National Guard. This is the Hope in the Trenches podcast. We're going forward. I'll sit down for conversations with people who offer interesting and informative perspectives on finding strength for life and work in the trenches and even improving our spiritual posture. Whether you feel like you're under heavy bombardment or ready to go over the top toward a new objective, it's good to be with you. Living with hope is essential to effective leadership at any level in the military and really in the civilian world too. Wherever someone is serving as a leader, I think you've got to be hopeful or live with hope. From the young sergeant who's maybe responsible for leading three or four other soldiers under fire to the general officer who endeavors to share a vision of success and a sense of purpose with an organization of maybe thousands of service members, civilians, and even multinational partners and allies. Now, for those of us who wear the uniform and have worn the uniform, the call to service brings with it incredible purpose and meaning. At the same time, it can also bring us to intense hardship and bring us face-to-face with suffering and even death. Which is why, well, the, this whole project, the Hope in the Trenches podcast, is about hope. My guests today are two incredible officers with deep roots in the Oregon Army National Guard. Brigadier General retired Doug Pritt and Brigadier General Eric Riley, who currently serves as the Assistant Adjutant General for the Oregon National Guard. Brigadier General Douglas Pritt enlisted in the Oregon Army National Guard in 1970 and served for over 37 years. He commanded at the company, battalion, brigade, and combined joint task force level during his career. In 2003, he was promoted to the rank of Brigadier General, serving as commander of the 41st Separate Infantry Brigade. In September 2005, the Jungleers were deployed to Louisiana in response to Hurricane Katrina relief operations. General Pritt was placed in command of Joint Task Force, or or JTF, Ponch Train, with over 3,500 personnel responsible for emergency response operations in New Orleans. When Hurricane Rita hit the Gulf Coast that same month, General Pritt was selected to command JTF Rita and was responsible for emergency military operations in all of southwest Louisiana. Then on the 4th of July, 2006, General Pritt assumed command of Combined Joint Task Force Phoenix, with a mission of training over 150,000 members of the Afghan National Army and police forces. The task force consisted of over 7,500 soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines from the United States and 18 other countries from around the world. General Pritt has received numerous awards, including the Legion of Merit, the Bronze Star, and the Meritorious Service Medal. General Pritt has a Bachelor of Science degree in Management from Merrillhurst College and a Master's degree in Business Administration from Boston University. He's completed numerous military courses, including the Engineer Officer Advanced Course at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, Resident Command and General Staff College at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, and the Resident Army War College at Carlisle, Pennsylvania. He served overseas, everywhere from Germany, Egypt, Korea, Australia, Azerbaijan, Brazil, Ecuador, Argentina, Japan, Kuwait, and Afghanistan. And he now snowbirds in Florida and lives part-time in Oregon as well with his wife, Susan. General Pritt, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. 
General Riley was commissioned as an infantry officer in 1993 through ROTC at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. He served as an infantry platoon leader and company executive officer in the California Army National Guard before transferring to the Oregon Army National Guard in 1998. In 2002, he served a rotation on the Sinai Peninsula as a company commander with Alpha 1st Battalion, 186th Infantry Regiment. Shortly after returning in 2003, he mobilized and deployed to Iraq, taking command of Alpha Company, 2nd Battalion, 162nd Infantry Regiment in 2004 in Baghdad. And he was also with General Pritt in Katrina in 2005. General Riley deployed again to Iraq in 2009 as the operations officer for 2162. Brigadier General Riley also commanded the Junkaliers from 2017 to 2021, including a tour as the Regional Command East Headquarters in Kosovo as part of NATO's Kosovo Force, or K-4. General Riley has received numerous awards, including the Legion of Merit, the Bronze Star, and the Meritorious Service Medal. General Riley also holds a master's degree in strategic studies from the United States Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. General Riley and his wife, Lori, live in southern Oregon, where he serves as the executive director of the Partnership for the Umpqua Rivers, a nonprofit organization responsible for restoring salmon habitat and monitoring water quality throughout the Umpqua Basin. General Riley, sir, thank you for joining us today, too. Yeah, Chaplain, it's great to be here. Well, gentlemen, it's, it's a privilege to have you both here on Hope in the Trenches today. So reflecting on your careers, gentlemen, why did you join the military? And why did you stay? Because Major Klein and I were talking about this before we started recording. I think those are two different questions. And I found that personally, as I've matured and served now for many years myself, that, that the reason why I stayed and the reason why I try to encourage others to consider service in the military are different than the reasons that I joined the military in the first place. Gentlemen, why, why'd you join and, and then why'd you stay? Well, it's a great question. And for me, it's a, a simple one on why I joined. I went to junior high and high school with my wife. And so we had known each other for a long time. And we started dating seriously after we graduated from high school. And my soon-to-be future father-in-law uh, was a major in the Oregon National Guard and he wanted me to make something of myself before I married his stepdaughter. And so he, he was very blunt with me, as you would expect a military person to be. He said, you're going to join the National Guard, you're going to get a commission, and you're going to be the, um, <laughs> the type of uh, husband that I want you to be. And mm-hmm. so it was a real direct style of leadership on his part. And I've stayed... Um, because of the people. Uh, I've, I've had the wonderful opportunity to meet some of the finest people in the world. And being in the National Guard over those 37 plus years have given me a sense of accomplishment and community uh, that I don't think I could have received anywhere else. So uh, a direct involvement to begin with and a long lasting love affair to continue that membership. Nice. I like the uh, the the direct the direct uh, casking to be the kind of husband uh, your father-in-law wanted you to be. That's pretty cool. 
All right. So, uh, so my, my story is a little different than general Pritz. Um, my, my father was a signal officer, uh, in the Vietnam war. And my uncle was a helicopter pilot for the first cab division in the Vietnam war. And I had a couple, uh, of other family members that were, uh, military service members. And so growing up, uh, the military was just kind of all around me and, and part of my family history. Um, and, you know, as a proud son, grandson, and nephew, I wanted to potentially take part in that. And, you know, when I was a kid, I was like many, many of us playing in the backyard with my little green army man, um, ep- uh, waging epic battles uh, and just almost idolizing the war heroes that you saw on TV and, and heard of at that age. Uh, and um, maybe to avoid the recruiter calls, I just decided I, I was going to become an officer and join ROTC. My dad had also advised me that if, if I did want to join, maybe maybe being an officer would be a better choice because you got to be involved with planning uh, and making decisions and leading. And so ROTC was in my future for sure. Um, and after 27 years or over 27 years of service now, I can say that you know the reason I've stayed and the reason I continue to serve is has definitely taken on a deeper and, and more meaningful uh, part of my everyday life. You know, being, being part of something bigger than yourself, uh, serving with brothers and sisters uh, in arms uh, is, is, is a privilege and a joy. So, you know, what better job could you have than being part of an organization that's charged with taking and protecting our nation? So, it, there is a huge sense of pride in service for me now, uh, and it, it is all about community, like General Pritt said. It, we're a family, for sure. I can I, I can sympathize with, with both of you, or I, or I feel I've come kind of come to that same uh, conclusion over the years, too, and, and, and definitely the reasons that I joined, because uh, General Riley, sir, was just a, I joined just a few years after you did. I, I, I commissioned through ROTC as well, and it was a peacetime army then. Mm-hmm. Um, but even right. bef- even before the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan started, um, I, I think I did recognize that 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 the people that I was able to serve alongside were were special, um, and the mission that we had in the military was was different. Even when I started connecting with headhunters while I was a, a lieutenant on active duty, kind of coming up on that decision point to to go to the captain's crew course or, or get out. You know, I, I told myself I'd, I'd have to find something that, that was at least as meaningful to me in the civilian world in order to leave the military. Right. Yep. But now, uh, and I was, I want to ask you both, gentlemen, kind of what advice you would give your yourself, you know, Lieutenant Pritt or L- Lieutenant Riley. But maybe since we, we've been talking about why we joined the military, maybe more surprising to me than the fact that it's that there are a lot of young people that just don't even consider serving in the military is the fact that I, I encounter a lot of parents who have pretty deep reservations about their children serving in the military. How might, how might you share with, with parents whose, whose children kind of maybe haven't even considered the military, um, why that might be something worth their consideration? Well, I'll, I'll go first, I guess. Sure. Uh, I, I'd like to, in answer to that, touch on something that Eric mentioned, and that is the 
the opportunity that the military, the Oregon National Guard, in my case specifically, provided uh, that you couldn't replicate anywhere in the world. Uh, certainly, you know, coming up from my background, you know, growing up in a small town in rural Oregon, uh, never in my wildest dreams could I imagine the opportunities that I was going to be afforded, um, it, opportunities for growth, uh, unique experiences, uh, the list goes on and on uh, that you just, uh, you can't imagine and uh, gives you an amazing sense of accomplishment. And you never know when it's going to take place. It's just like when we got called to go to New Orleans for Katrina, uh, three-day weekend on the Friday of a three-day weekend, called and said, the airplane's waiting for you. Get there as fast as you can. Mm. And it's like, what? Yep. <laughs> and um, so you never know what what's around the, the next corner. Uh, and so the piece of advice that I would give to uh, family as they consider their uh, children for the military would be uh, tell them to volunteer for everything. There's just more out there than you can possibly grasp and uh, never, never shirk from the opportunity to take on more responsibility and uh, learn new and different things because it's a, an amazing experience. Well, sir, that kind of flies in the face of some of the some of the first advice you get in the military, which is don't volunteer for nothing, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> they tell you not to volunteer for anything, but but I think that's incredibly sage advice because when you look at think, consider the impression you make on your your colleagues, your peers, your leaders when when you're the person who will step up and do the work that no one else wants to do. You know, sir, you mentioned growth and experience, different experiences, and I, I too have have had an amazing amount of opportunities through the military that you you can't get, and I've never achieved in a in a civilian career. You know, 25, 26 years of civilian career, um, it it's been it's been one opportunity after another. And you're right; you never know where they're coming from. Um, the opportunity to, to lead, uh, the opportunity to prepare. You know, I, I share with my coworkers in my civilian world, you know, yeah, we're, we're planning to move 400 people around the world. And that's not a big deal to the military because that's what we do. We, 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 we are experts in logistics and planning. And uh, it's, it is just unfathomable to some of my civilian uh, colleagues on, on the things that the military does. Um, and I would also say, you know, just some of the opportunities I've had in, in the Oregon Guard since I've been here, uh, even even the California Guard, just the travel opportunities. You know, I've been to Hawaii for training. I've been to Mongolia and Thailand for training in Japan. Um, I have had to go to to some un, unfavorable locations <laughs> in the world as well. But I mean, that's part of, of service and, and the, that service mindset. Uh, but I do know uh, it is, and Chaplain, I've heard the same thing from many parents uh, in coaching soccer here in, in Southern Oregon over the years. And just my kids going through school, they, they, are, they are scared of their children joining the military just because we, it was a time of war, you know, and we saw um, 
some of the the uh, the ugly sides of war, certainly, you know, on social media and TV daily at times. So, I think I think as a country, people were just scared, you know, of the the ultimate sacrifice, I guess. Well, yes, sir, and and we shouldn't discount that either. I, I don't want to make light of that because uh, I'm a parent sure. as well, you know, and, and I don't I don't want anything uh, bad to happen to my daughter, but but then yeah, we when we consider just what we've been blessed with here in the United States. And it, yes, sir, I've, I've been to a lot of those, the same places that we would probably call undesirable or, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, and I think that's probably the wrong word because places that I wouldn't go necessarily go on vacation, but I've met wonderful people in those places. And, you know, and there's, there's beauty there and, and beautiful people. And, with when I reflect on that and what we what we have here in the United States and what we've been blessed with just from birth here in the United just being born in the United States, what what we're afforded, um, I think you know, boy, what a what a pl- privilege and a blessing it is, and the opportunity to give back and to serve our neighbors here in the United States, and and to try to give those same opportunities to people around the world is is definitely something that every young person should consider. Right. Yeah. I- Go ahead, sir. I was just going to piggyback onto something you said, Eric. I think if parents understood the opportunities that their children would be afforded, um, not only travel, um, but the ability to meet people from a a much different background than them, um, plus also the accomplishment that that they would receive just for their service. Um, But also, um, you can't pass up the the abilities that a person picks up from their military experience in just basic day-to-day life, decision-making process, management of expenses, time and money. And uh, Eric talked about, you know, his civilian friends wouldn't be able to fathom uh, what he did in the military. If people understood those things, I think they'd be jumping to have their children join the military. And yes, there is a certain degree of risk uh, that comes with service, but uh, there's so many more opportunities out there. It's just uh, amazing to me. Yeah, I, I would agree. The opportunities certainly outweigh the risk. Um, and I mean, just for me, it's you know, it's been half of my life has been part of the, I've been part of the military, and and that 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 half of life is growing and growing in, in years each year. So 27 plus years of military service. Um, and I have gained so much more out of being in a part of the military than I, than I would have had I just had a civilian career, for sure. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, gentlemen, so we've we've talked a little bit about how, or we've reflected on um, our service in uniform. Looking back on who you were when you first raised your right hand and first put the uniform on. What's what's one piece of advice that you might give Lieutenant Pritt or Lieutenant Riley? Well, you know, from from my vantage point, that's the the volunteer for everything. Try and take advantage of every opportunity that you're afforded, um, and and don't be afraid. Uh, like you said, Chaplain, most of the time people tell you never volunteer for anything, and <laughs> I started volunteering when I went to basic training. 
and didn't stop until 37 years later when, when I retired. And now I volunteer on the civilian side because I've learned from my military experience uh, how many benefits there are from that and the wonderful friendships that you create. And my wife and I have friends all over the world that you, you can't imagine how you ever met them uh, because of uh, the unique circumstances that surrounded that. But because you did meet them, your life is richer. Uh, and so I, I would say, go for it all. Do try and get as many opportunities you can. And like I said, volunteer for everything in your imagination. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I, so I'd piggyback on that for sure. You know, when I, when I came into the military, I wanted to be, uh, my, my loftiest goal was to be an infantry company commander. If I could achieve that, <laughs> you know, I would have had a successful military career. And one could argue that, yeah, maybe, maybe that would have been the case. But uh, if, if I were to tell Lieutenant Riley one thing, I would, I would share with him that, uh, you know, leadership's a privilege and an honor, and it's something that shouldn't be taken for granted or taken lightly. Um, and I always thought to be a good leader, you, you had to be the smartest person in the room. You had to be the best at every, every skill that your team had to do or was responsible for. Um, and I would say that you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to be the best at everything. Uh, you need to treat your soldiers as team members uh, and, and realize that no one individual on a team can make that team successful. Unless your name's Tom Brady, I, I'm pretty sure. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, General Riley, sir, that, that sounds an awful lot like humility, well, it may, maybe it is, but I mean, I, I do remember being so stressed as a lieutenant that I had to have the perfect op order and I had to have everything. And maybe it was the evaluation process back then, and it's changed. But I was, I was always so stressed out and not looking at my unit, whether it was a platoon or a company as a team, um, I was looking at it as I have to lead this group of soldiers. Mm. So getting that team mindset, I think, is very important. Uh, and if you focus on the team versus the individual, I think you'll go a lot farther. So that's what I would say to Lieutenant Riley. And then, I, I mean, the volunteering, take advantage of this opportunity to lead. There will be opportunities. And I was very, uh, what's, what's the right word? I, I, I made it a point to try to stay in a leadership role in an infantry unit my entire career. And I would tell Lieutenant Riley, don't be afraid of a little diversity uh, also. Well, and that's, I think that brings up maybe another piece of bad advice that, you know, you've got to, you've got to have the right jobs. Because, because I did, I did hear something pretty early on in my career. And and I think it speaks to your point, General Riley, sir, that, uh, they, someone told me there's no such thing as a bad job in the military. Um, there's there's only bad performances or poor performances or s- subpar, right? So even right. if it's a position that maybe isn't one of the more desirable jobs or positions um, in in a unit, um, take that job and do your best. And and if you do your best and have the right attitude and, a, uh, and the right approach and and you're positive. And, and you a- achieve, um, you're going to get noticed no matter what job you're in. 
Sure, very true. Even if it's a job you wouldn't have chosen for yourself, you're right. Well, I, I think there's a lot of merit to that. I'll just uh, summarize here real quickly, make this a short story. I served in the engineers for 17 years and uh, never in my imagination could I expect to be an infantry brigade commander. Uh, that thought never occurred to me until I received a phone call saying, uh, you know, can you come to my office for a meeting? And then uh, say a general officer saying, we want you to command the 41st Brigade. And you're like, are you sure you're talking to the right person? (laughs) (laughs) I'm wearing engineer castles here, not cross rifles. So you're, you're right. Uh, Eric, there, there are no bad assignments as, as the chaplain pointed out. And you're right. You ought to keep grasping at those, the next rung up and uh, go, go for the gusto. Right. Well, gentlemen too, we, when we've been touching on leadership and, and we, we've also talked a little bit about kind of people, young people who might be considering joining the military. And you hear a lot of conversation about young people today, uh, quote unquote, or uh, millennials and their their strengths and, or maybe perceived weaknesses. How did your leadership styles or your approach to leadership have to change over the course of your career? And and what drove that? Was it just a matter of the different responsibilities at different levels of command or the positions that you were in? Or did people change over the years? Or maybe a little bit of all of that? Well, um, from my perspective, um, there, there are two aspects of that leadership style. You talk about uh, change. Uh, but I think there's an underlying principle uh, that didn't ever change, and that was always to treat everyone with dignity and respect, no matter what yeah. leadership position mm-hmm. you're in. Um, and then on the other side of that, um, there certainly there were changes uh, when you go from direct leadership, where uh, Eric talked about you know being a platoon leader and uh, you know wanting to do the very best job you can for your platoon. Uh, to indirect leadership where you've got 7,500 people in your command. And you certainly can't use uh, direct style leadership with 7,500 people. Right. No. right. So, so from, from my vantage point, um, underlying principles and values that you always have to adhere to, but then uh, your leadership style does have to be flexible and changeable. Because the, you know, one minute you could be talking to people from, um, in my case, 18 different countries, and 30 minutes later, you could be talking to an Afghan uh, general officer one-on-one about what his organization is doing. And so your, your leadership style has to be flexible and has to be changeable at a moment's notice. So um, I think, I think the... Um, the direct, the indirect, uh, the team building, the coaching, all of those things that uh, we in military service have adhered to um, serve us well. But you have to be aware of what those are. I think the other thing that from my vantage point, um, I tend to want to be a positive leader, not to take people down, but to encourage and coach them to, to better performance. Uh, the other thing that I think people want 
from any leader is consistency. They don't want someone yeah. to treat um, the, you know, the soldier standing next to me one way and treat me another. And, and so I've tried to adhere to that principle uh, throughout my career at, at whatever level that is. The other thing from a leadership uh, perspective, and this goes back to something that Eric mentioned, uh, never be afraid to hire someone smarter than you. Right. <laughs> I, I believe in that uh, very strongly. And the other thing, I, other principle that I believe in is surround yourself with the very best people. Uh, right. There are there are great people out there. Uh, you just have to go out and find them and recruit them and encourage them to be on your team, and uh, that will serve you well. Yeah, and I, I think if you do that, you know, you you find the, that right team, um, and not trying to be the smartest person in the room. You're you're only empowering your subordinate leaders to do even a better job for you. So. Um, Anyways, I, you know, Chaplain, I don't have a whole lot different to say. I, I do believe, you know, as leaders, our style or our approach changes over time. And I think it's the combination of who we're leading, the responsibilities that we have, uh, and, and the situation we're in, you know, whether you're deployed or in a garrison environment or you're on a training exercise or you're getting your your PHA then, so you can, you can check the block for for your health, uh, your physical uh, each year. Um, I do know that um, when I did start out, I, I I was trained. I'll say that you know you need to be commanding, you need to be very direct, and and maybe that was a result of Cold War era or Vietnam era uh, instructors, um, but. By nature, I'm a collaborator uh, and one that wants mm-hmm. to work and with and serve with others. Um, so, you know, over time, as any leader does, they develop and their leadership style uh, changes somewhat. But I think in the end, that consistency piece, if you're I, I'm the same person Lieutenant Riley was, uh, I've just refined some of my leadership approaches and, and skills, certainly. Um, and it, it get that. General Pritt, you said building that team. Uh, and, and building a team is so much more important than, uh, than to me, that's the biggest skill a leader has. A good team builder is going to have have a, a command or a unit uh, or soldiers that, that will do anything, follow them anywhere. Uh, and if you pick the right people and build that team, empower that team, they'll don't they'll, they'll go to the end of the world for you, you know. So, and I too am an eternal optimist, so I'm always looking at the at the bright side of things. Uh, and in my in my time as brigade commander, I had to tell my executive officer to, uh, you know, pull me aside in the office. And if if I'm being too optimistic and overreaching our capabilities as an organization, I need you to tell me because I'll I'll optimize this thing all the way out till it gets crazy uh and and he did on a couple occasions <laughs> so anyways that i don't know that i got too much more to add to what general Pritt said well sir you, and you both touched on optimism and i think we have mm-hmm. to distinguish between 
a, a naive optimism or a simple optimism and, and hope. Because having a positive outlook or being optimistic about your, your chances of success, that's, that, that's different than, you know, simply wishing away failures to, to plan or to train or to properly resource people and units to, to do their jobs or to do their missions. What do you what do you think the difference is between just kind of that that optimism and and having a real sense of hope? Oh, well, Eric, to I've been, deep. Yeah, yeah, deep <laughs> I was going to say, Eric, I've been going first. You want to go first this time? Yeah. So, um, hope. I mean, I think everybody finds a, a sense of hope in something, and not everybody finds it in the same same place you know um as a christian i've got i've got hope in god you know to to carry carry me carry us through whatever uh experience is in front of us Uh, and i think each individual has to find where they're where that i'll say deep hope really is because yes you can be an optimist and and wish away you know, the, the bad weather or, you know, or whatever the situation may be. But having having hope is deeper than that. And it, it comes from within you uh, as an individual, I, I believe, initially. Um, and, you know, others, uh, others outside of prayer or, or God, they'll, they'll, they'll put their hope in, in things that are more tangible, right? Mm-hmm. In money or... Uh, I don't know, fame or, you know, and, and some people find it in that, I guess, but I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of flattered. General Prick, can you, uh, can you help me out here? (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I I don't think I'm going to add much to what you've already said, Eric. I, I believe that, uh, we all get hope from a wide variety of, um, input, I think that shifts in in my situation. Certainly, after retiring, uh, I looked uh, to other areas for hope. Um, I I learned to look more um, within myself. And my, my self awareness changed dramatically from the time that I served uh, to being a civilian. Um, we all find hope in a lot of different places. Uh, one of the things that uh, I had uh, as hope um, an initiator with hope within my personality when I served were the the people that I served with, and mm-hmm. that didn't change when I retired, but it shifted. It shifted to the mm-hmm. young people um, because my grandchildren uh, and my experiences with them changed, and that gave me great hope and the exposure to their friends. Uh, some exposure that we get, uh, my wife and I, from volunteering with uh, different organizations where we, we live, uh, marshalling uh, junior golf tournaments, we've found to be uh, very enjoyable. And it gives you hope to see those kids and their experiences. Uh, and it, uh, it, it isn't what, what we read about in uh, media about future generations, you know, and what are their attributes? These, these kids uh, give you a positive outlook uh, for what 
uh, what the future holds for uh, our country and not just our country because a lot of these kids are from other countries but mm-hmm. uh, yeah mm-hmm. and and certainly when we served in Afghanistan uh, the kids there the young people uh, gave you a lot of hope or did me uh, that because of the values that they demonstrated in spite of the environment in which they lived. So a lot of, a lot of different things give me hope. Um, but young people are at, certainly at the center of that. Uh, and right now in, in my retired life. Well, I think maybe one of the common threads throughout um, the thoughts that you both shared, gentlemen, is the is that there is something greater than us and so, something enduring, something that transcends just maybe the the bad weather today, or maybe maybe I maybe I tried something and failed, or it didn't go the way that I mm-hmm. thought the, the way that I thought it should. But um, the, something that can pull me through to tomorrow and and to giving it another another chance, a, a, another effort, or knowing that there are other people out there that that I can lean on and rely on and and that are that are with me in this difficult time. Yeah, I, I think it's I mean back back to being a team player or, or, or being part of something bigger, I guess, is where I would rather go with this is finding hope with just in yourself is I'll say short sighted. You know, um and whether whether it's through faith or through service or through engagement with you know young young people, I I have the same. I see hope in in, in my children, you know, who are just now finishing college and starting their careers. I see hope in the little kids on the soccer field that I've coached throughout the year, you know. That so yeah, I think it is. It's it's being part of that something more than just yourself. It is, yeah. Now, and we do have to occasionally dig deep and try to. And fortitude, I think, is part of resi- mm-hmm. resilience, but but it's got d- different sources. Well, and I think a couple of things that you that you both touched on too is that there is there is no one size fits all formula for resilience or or what's going to to make someone strong and resilient and able to continue and endure. So. Oh, We've been talking about resilience for more than fifteen years now in the in the army, um, gentlemen. What do you what do you think? Um, maybe why do we need to keep talking about resilience? Well, from from my perspective, uh, resilience is a matter of successfully com- completing the mission or not, uh, because certainly nothing goes perfect, uh, and. In order to accomplish the mission, you've got to be able to bounce back from adversity. Uh, you've got to be able to see setbacks as minor in nature and not uh, stopping the entire operation. Um, and so I think uh, I think you've got to have that endurance. I think in particular, you've got to have that resiliency in a military environment because People are shooting at you. Bad things are going to happen. And uh, you got to be able to endure that and carry on. And I think that uh, requires a a unique set of leadership skills. 
knowing your people, having empathy for them and their unique uh, characteristics and what they bring to the organization. And I think your ability to interact with those people in a, a wide variety of uh, environments, hostile environments, mm-hmm. uh, to social environments, and understanding their backgrounds and what makes them important and capable of making a contribution that maybe nobody else can. But you've got to know those people in order to to do that, to take advantage and to leverage uh, their unique skills and talents, beliefs, and motivation to accomplish the mission. Because they certainly can bring something. You may not know what it mm-hmm. is today, but if you know what they are, uh, you'll know better what to do tomorrow. Yes, sir. And, and earlier you talked about treating every person on your team with dignity and respect. And and I think all of that starts with valuing the people around you as as individuals, as as people. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, you know, Chaplain, if I if you ask me right now, what what is resiliency? Uh, and I actually wrote this down. I, it's it's a mindset with a heavy dose of stubbornness. <laughs> uh, um, and you know, we all we all have different ways of being resilient. And and I'll just say, as a as a leader. Uh, in, in the civilian world and in the military, as a father, as a husband, um, I'm more resilient some days than others, uh, for sure, you know. And I think it's that, that stubbornness that I that just keeps pushing me to be successful at whatever mission I'm, I'm working on. Um, no, nobody likes to fail, I, and for sure, um, that's not something you just wake up one day and say, well, today I'm going to be a failure. No, but I think it's, it's that, that mindset where you're just, you are going to push through whatever challenges is, whatever adversities uh, you face to accomplish whatever, whatever you're striving towards. Um, And for me, you know, I think, like I was saying earlier, resiliency, I, I won't say it comes and goes, but you have better days than, some days are better than others, certainly. And you just have to understand that, you know, and just because a failure today uh, occurs does not mean you're a, you, you're failing at your mission or you're failing in life. It's just, okay, well, things didn't work out as I had hoped they would today for whatever I'm working on. Uh, and tomorrow's another day and, and it will be better. Back to that eternal optimism, you know, it can't be any worse than this, can it? <laughs> <laughs> Well, General Pritt, you touched on this, too, when you talked about keeping setbacks or, you know, understanding that minor setbacks or maybe a maybe a a failure, a a small failure in something, maybe something didn't go the way you thought it would. Keeping that in perspective or General Riley having keeping those bad days in perspective. And And I appreciate that honesty that that not, you know, even people that we see as strong and resilient and that have it all together. Not every day is like that. Um, but right. but we we got to keep the bad days in that larger perspective as as well. And you know, and yeah. when we and if we have a day where we kind of fall off the path or get off the path, tomorrow let's just get back on the path. Exactly. Yeah. Good. And I I think uh, Eric's comments are better than the word I wrote down was endurance. But I like your stubbornness. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's a good answer. 
Well, I, I, Chaplain, I know you and I have said this on a couple of things uh, with a deployment, with a couple of long ruck marches we've done in the past. You know, it's it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Mm-hmm. And, and if you treat it that way, a, a small setback at the beginning of the marathon is not going to be, or even the middle, it's not going to constitute failure. It's just a small setback, you know, and you, you still are striving to finish the marathon. Right. And, you know, how many, how many runs or ruck marches have you gone out on? And, you know, if you... I don't know about you, but I I just it takes me a while to get warmed up. So I I don't feel good when I start when I start running or start <laughs> no. rocking, you know. So if right. I just cashed it in because because I didn't feel good when I started, you know, I'd never get off the starting right. line. But then you you get moving and you and you make up time and you get loose and um and you and you kind of you kind of bounce back from a slow start. Well, and having that goal, whatever it is, you know, 13, 12 miles as your desired end state uh, for this ruck march. Well, okay, yeah, the first three miles are rather horrible, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, especially as you get older, the first five or six miles are horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, it's it's the, the end result or the end goal that if you stay focused on that, uh, can endure and and use your stubbornness to to finish that, you'll be fine. So, since we we've been talking a little bit about resilience and kind of what it is in, in general. Um, gentlemen, bo- maybe for both of you, what specifically, what are, what are some of the, some of the practices, whether that's, you know, physical fitness or um, maybe spiritual or religious practices, what are, what are some of the things that help you stay strong and resilient and, and kind of keep, keep going and, and, and stay on the path? Well, I'm, I made a list of, uh, a long time ago of what those things were so that so that I wouldn't forget and stop doing them because I found um, in the first couple of years after I retired, I'd, I'd forgotten to uh, go back and read a book uh, to try and learn because in my, in my military experience, I always tried to read two books at the same time. Hmm. One focused on my uh, military um responsibilities, whether it be leadership or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the other was just an enjoyable book. And when I retired, I was so wrapped up in playing golf and other sports and activities that I forgot about reading. And so I went back and and made a list. And so um, I'll just share my little very brief list here with you. Um, Things I do for my overall health. These are my, my choice. So I walk, do yoga, read, meditate. I do positive self-talk at least 10 minutes a day. Hmm. I give thanks and celebrate my successes. And we in the military, uh, we do that more than you recognize when you're, you know, when you're serving. Um, But once you transition to civilian life, um, there isn't that same formality uh, to recognize people and their accomplishments. So you, you've got to give thanks and celebrate those successes. Uh, appreciate others uh, and share with them your appreciation. Volunteer, uh, and it doesn't matter what you volunteer for. Just go out and volunteer. And the other thing is to give to charities, whether that be directly to people who are less fortunate than us, 
or to sending money to Africa to help educate young people. Uh, whatever you do, give give away. Uh, you know, pay it forward. And then uh, and then the other thing is to practice my spiritual fitness, my relationship with God. Uh, so that's that's my list. Uh, and that's what I do for for my overall health. General Pritt, you've, you've mentioned – well, I appreciate that you mentioned gratitude, and I've had other guests guests on here that – and we've talked about just the, the benefits of of finding something every day that you can be thankful for. Because we, we can. If we, if we look, it, it's not too hard to find things that we have in our lives. No matter how bad the day is going, we can find something to be thankful for. But you've also mentioned several times volunteering and, and helping others. And – and it sounds like from from hearing you talk about that too that um, it's it's not well. There's an incredible value in helping and serving others, but as you've talked about it, you re, you receive a, a great deal um, of of joy and satisfaction in, in doing that yourself. And I think that makes people resilient too. I I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I get back more than I give. I mean, it's not what I intend, and I am very sincere, and I don't, uh, I don't provide people compliments that are unworthy because it, you know you're making it up. Uh, but to see the joy in people's face when you really do recognize them for something, and they know they've, they deserve it, they've worked hard to do it. Uh, yeah, to see that is uh, gives you a great sense of satisfaction. I sat in on a resiliency class just the other day, and one of the the, the takeaways from that was to to make your praise praiseworthy. You know, don't nice. don't don't just tell <laughs> don't just tell someone that hey, you, good job, right? But yeah. but but talk about what it was and and why that was meaningful to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Got to be specific. General Riley, sir, um, what yeah. what are your thoughts on some of those practices, yeah. or how do you how do you how do you stay in the game, sir? I think, you know, um, when you're deeply, I don't, I'll just say, I don't have a cool list like that. I, I wrote a couple of things out. That's, uh, thank you, sir. I, I may steal some of those and add them to a list that I, I've yet to create. Uh, Feel free. Uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm at that time of life now where I'm, I am more, I'll say more reflective than I am looking forward to uh, a, a long career in the military or, or in the civilian world. So, um, those are all very good. I, I think for me, um, so I wrote down prayer and I, I chaplain, you know, I don't do it as much as I, I should or, or even want to. And I speak a lot of times as a leader in whatever organization you're leading, you're so deeply entrenched into whatever the five meter target is, you know, whatever the challenges that you're working on that you forget to back out and take a little broader perspective or broader mm-hmm. look at the situation uh, where, where prayer is, is very helpful. Uh, and just realizing that, okay, this is, this is not necessarily all in my control. You know, it's, it's not all up to me. I, I'm, I'm going to provide my best input to whatever the situation is, but there, there's a bigger, bigger things at work there. Um, and for me, sharing my experiences with others. Uh, you know, I've, we, we've talked over the years a lot of before resiliency was a big word, um, PTSD and, and how the challenges that come with that and realizing what that is. And for me, 
part of my resiliency toolkit is to share my experiences, good, bad, and ugly. And Chaplin, you know very well. Um, and that is is very because it, it helps me when I'm verbalizing my experiences, uh, positive or negative. It helps me visualize after I hear myself say it, you know, visualize, okay, how could I have done this different? Mm -hmm. okay, and maybe it's not as bad as I thought it was too, you know? So uh, I think sharing experiences and just talking it out is, is a very important part of resiliency because you find shared experiences um, with others when you do that. And, and then you, you build strength through through that bond, that team teamwork that comes together. Um, what else did I want to say? I think my priorities are shifting too, with as far as resiliency goes. What I what I found would would provide resilience in years past, maybe maybe doesn't as I get a little older. And I think that's just a maturity thing. Um, but I just having some quiet time, spending time alone out in nature. Yeah, I'm a fish and wildlife guy for my civilian job. So uh, being outdoors is very uh, empowering to me and, and refreshing. Uh, I'll say recharges my batteries. So, well, so I got to work. I'm going to work on the list because this, this is good. I keep reading. I, I typed it out while you were saying it. So <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Well, Sir General Riley, there is there is there is research that supports just how how important that solitude is. Or there there've been uh, some books mm -hmm. recently written. One of one of them is called "Lead Yourself First that talks about the importance of yes. solitude um, and and taking time to reflect. Well, and I can relate to you too, sir, when you talk about prayer and and sharing with others. Just as as a chaplain, um, vocationally, of course. Uh, praying with others kind of forces me outside of myself and forces me to, you know, it, it kind of sometimes it can jolt me out of navel gazing and feeling sorry about myself when, right. you know, when I can um, when I can come alongside others and, and share joys and uh, and hardships and just, you know, think thinking about others um, definitely kind of takes me outside myself and, and forces me to do those things, too. That was right, one, right. Of, one of my great, uh, one of my, some of your professors told us, he said, you know, God makes some of us pastors just so that we're in church every Sunday, you know, and I've, I feel that way too, just as a chaplain, you know, it, it forces me to kind of be who I'm called to be. And, and, and I appreciate those opportunities. Nice. Gentlemen, I guess uh, again, boy, thank you so much for, for your time. And maybe with, uh, I want to be respectful of, of your time and, Maybe just a, with a few minutes we have left, uh, we always say too that leaders are readers, and so I'm always curious to to hear what people are reading. And General Pritt, you talked about this too. You know, I, the same way I, I try to have two books going for me. It's having one that's maybe leadership or management or um, military related, and another one that's theology related. Uh, but for both of you, what what books have you been reading recently that you might recommend to to any of our listeners? Well, my recreational book um, right now that I'm reading is Long Walk to Freedom by Nelson Mandela. Hmm. And, and I think uh, there's some direct tie-in uh, to his words in the book and what we've been talking about today about resilience and uh, spiritual health. And I would just recommend the book to anybody that has any interest whatsoever in, in those things. Um, not not to mention uh, the goodness of forgiveness 
that uh, he has demonstrated and talks about in the book, as well as perseverance. Uh, he, he talk about stubbornness, Eric. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the man, the man was uh, the epitome of that. Just uh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, the other book that that I'm reading and um, at the encouragement of my wife is uh, Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, uh, John Gottman, uh, the author. And it's got some enlightening uh, insights uh, from his uh, research about communication and how important it is. And so um, those those are the two books that I would uh, give a recommendation to. Those are great, sir. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of Gottman's work and, and, and use use him frequently in counseling and teaching. Well, you, remember we started this out, uh, Chaplain, you introduced me as an infantryman. So I don't, if it doesn't have pictures in it, I might not be looking at it. <laughs> um, but I, I, two things that I have read recently. One uh, is from the Parameters, which is a quarterly U.S. Army War College journal. Um, the most recent art, um, uh, publication of that had an article called The Battalion Commander Effect. And this article was largely about, uh, it was only four or five page paper, but it was about uh, culture and how, how impactful senior leaders, battalion commander level leaders can be in maintaining an organization's health, whether that's through, through strengths or efficiencies or whatever. Uh, and it was, it was pretty insightful. And I talked with another, uh, another colleague, a lieutenant colonel uh, that's still serving, that we're still serving with here in Oregon. And he, you know, we, we broke it down to the squad and platoon level that it, you know, that, that platoon leader has an effect on, you know, 38 other individuals in an infantry platoon. And hmm. it, and it, it just, it was, it was very interesting. And Chaplain, you know, for about four years now, I've been talking a lot about culture. Um, and it, it, it really dug into the culture of an organization, how, a leader can really affect that positively or negatively. Um, and the other thing that I recently read, just, it, gosh, it was this weekend. Um, you know, we see so much in the news about what's going on over in Russia, Ukraine, and that situation, uh, and situations in the Middle East and around Israel. And and my wife and I were talking about um we had a discussion about how things in the world are shaping up in the Bible. She says, you should read Ezekiel 38. So I went and read mm -hmm. Ezekiel 38, and then I went into full military mode and, and I got a map out. And I, you know, labeled some of the old Kush and put and all these names, Gog and Magog, and I, I labeled it on the map just to create a better understanding. You know, we are in interesting times, certainly, in the world. Uh, for sure. Uh, and it was, I'll say, healthy for me to look at it kind of from a biblical perspective, yet still having my operational military mindset, uh, you know, going in the background. So I'm not reading anything big or deep. I've got a couple little um, couple books that are, are truly just for fun to read, not, not enriching or uh, 
growth oriented at all. So I won't mention those, but uh, yeah, those are the two that came to mind when you, you posed that question, Chaplain. Well, gentlemen, thank you both for those recommendations. And uh, I was, I was taking notes then. So I, I appreciate again, your time and your willingness to, to reflect on your careers and in your, in your lives of, of service and gentlemen, God bless you both. And I pray that we can cross paths again in the near future. Sounds good. All right. Well, yeah, thank you, Jacob, for putting this together. Thank you, Eric. Great. I learned some things today. I've made some notes, and I I appreciate your insightful uh, comments and leadership style, and congratulations to you on uh, on your great success. Thank um, you. I know Oregon's not your original home, but your home now in Roseburg, close to me. I was born in Myrtle Creek, so. Oh, uh, really? I didn't know that. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Nice to have that little uh, few mile away connection. So yeah, that, that's enjoy, cool. enjoyed it. No, thank you. I enjoyed it as well. It's good to hear your voice. It's been been a long time, um, certainly, uh, and yeah, definitely insightful. I, hey, Chaplain, this is you get you got to keep this podcast going. Or this is this is good. This is good connecting not only people on the podcast, but hopefully people are are getting something from it on the outside as well. I know we did here today. Well, I hope so too, sir. And, and definitely, even, even if no, even if no one else listens, uh, I certainly have have <laughs> gotten a lot out of the conversations that I've been able to have, um, and today, today included. God bless you both, gentlemen. Take care. All, All right. right Thanks. Take care. Bye. This podcast is produced by the Oregon National Guard Public Affairs Office. My prayer for you is that wherever you find yourself, that you might find hope for today and strength for the ambiguity and chaos of life. Blessings on the rest of your day.